Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello and welcome to the DJE Podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Our guest today is Randy Smith. He's the founder of Impact Equity based out of Phoenix. And we chronicle his journey from his professional background, uh, many years, and then his introduction to real estate and starting out single family and doing some stuff in remote markets. So buying stuff in Atlanta when he's based in Phoenix. And then his eventual transition to multifamily investing, like a lot of us have done. So he's an LP in a whole lot of deals through a lot of different sponsors and shares his journey on how he's vetting sponsors, how he's looking at deals um, and putting his capital to work, right? So lots to learn from Randy's story there. Before we get into that, a couple uh, messages from our sponsors here. First, from Apartment Educators is a, a company that I'm a part of. I'm a co-founder. And what we do is we train folks on how to invest in multifamily, whether they want to go out and be the primary sponsor and run these deals, or they want to be passive investors. We've got a free eight-part video series for you at apartmenteducators.com and lots of events in Texas that we hold regularly where you can go out, mingle, and meet folks, like-minded folks in the multifamily investment space. Second message from DJE, that's our company. This is the DJE podcast. If you would like to see our investment projects that we're putting out and you're not currently seeing those, you can go to djetexas.com to sign up and connect with our team. We can show you case studies, what we've been doing over the last decade in Texas and all that fun stuff so that when we project, you're, you're in a position to uh, to evaluate that. That's at djetexas.com. Okay, without further ado, let's get into this episode with Randy. Here we go. Randy, welcome to the podcast. Good to see you. How are you? I am very good, Devin. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. Uh, look forward to diving in. Talk and shop on real estate. Uh, we were talking a little bit in the green room before about uh, some of your background and and how you got into real estate. But for folks listening that haven't connected with you before or connected with Impact Equity, your company, or heard your podcast, how about a little background? How you know wh- where'd you grow up and all that good stuff? And I always like to understand what what attracted you to real estate. What made you make the jump? Yeah, yeah, where where I grew up. I don't get that question much on these, but yeah, so I grew up in small town USA, small little city in northern Michigan in what is called the UP in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, um Iron River, and um yeah, not a lot going on in Iron River, so went off to college and ended up in Southern California and uh ultimately landed here in Phoenix, Arizona about 20 years ago. And uh, was a corporate America business to business sales guy um, sure. and sales leadership as well. And uh, a handful of years ago, I got to a point where I had some extra capital sitting on the side and got into the real estate investing space. Yep. And um, yeah, started in single family, did out of state burr and uh, turnkey investments. And then shifted over to passive investing in multifamily uh, a handful of years later. And that's what I've been doing ever since. I like it. I like it. Pretty classic trajectory there, single family and kind of part-time and then scaling that up over time. What was it initially that got you onto this idea of buying a rental house? 
book or a mentor? Did you join a course? What, what was it for you? Yeah. So it, it was, um, you know, very similar. Yes. I did a bunch of reading and podcast early on, but ultimately my dad who actually lived in Southern California, um, as I was growing up back in Michigan, actually, he actually bought a handful of apartment complexes in Los Angeles. And at one point, I think he had up to about a hundred doors at one point, he was working for LA County Sheriff's department. And, uh, at the time those guys didn't make a lot of money. Um, but he was very smart with his money and invested in these apartments in Los Angeles back during the riots and, you know, all of the challenging times back in the day. And um, I remember my dad saying to me once, you know, you hear a lot about slumlords. And yes. he said, the thing with class C, maybe potentially even class D um, multifamily investing is that if you take care of your residents and you provide a safe, clean environment for them to live in, then they will stay there as long as you'll allow them to stay. And that was always in the back of my mind as I went off to corporate America and, and chased all of the awards and accolades and president's clubs and all of those types of things, knowing that someday I would come back when I kind of got my own financial house in order and start investing in real estate. I love it. What a great uh, role model. And I find a lot of times myself included, people just have a hard time with a mindset shift or the, you know, these, some of these projects are really big. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around, but it sounds like through your father, you had a role model where, Hey, you know, somebody you knew had already done that. And you'd kind of seen that. Was there ever a, you know, a dark side? I, I hear about people's kids, you know, having a clean toilets and stuff, and it turns them off to real estate forever. Did you have any of that growing up or were you pretty distanced from it? And your dad just kind of ran his, ran his thing. Yeah. So I was definitely distant to the multifamily space. Um, sure. What I was up close and personal with is my mom and my stepdad bought a, a restaurant in small town USA and put blood, sweat, and tears into that thing for 20 years and ultimately sold it for a loss. And, wow. uh, yeah. you know, at really? nine o'clock or at uh, nine years old, I had the prestigious title of gopher. Um, and I, I was promoted very quickly to bus boy and bottle washer and all of those types of things. So sure. I uh, I was uh, in the middle of uh, restaurant work uh, for a lot of years there growing up in that entrepreneur family. Yeah. Busboy is my first job. That's a, that's an honorable beginning there. That's, that's hard. Absolutely. That's maybe the hardest I've ever worked. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Love it. So you had kind of had an exposure to multifamily um, enough that when you came back and had some of your own capital, just, uh, just kind of made sense. So how long did you spend in the, in the single family space? You, you did some out-of-state Burr stuff. You did some, presumably some stuff in, in Phoenix, or were you not active in Phoenix at the time? Or what was the timeline there? Yeah. So I was, I was never active in Phoenix other than my own single family residences. Um, my first investment was uh, actually, I, I bought a couple of turnkeys in rapid succession, uh, I, I think five years ago now. And uh, ultimately, those, those, I will say, were not the best investments, um, but I did learn a ton from that process. And ultimately, without those initial investments, I would have never moved on to Burr and, and landed in the multifamily passive space. So really, really glad that I, I uh, took the plunge and jumped into those turnkeys early on. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that early, those early years is just a lot of learning. It seems like we're a lot of learning about what you don't want to do. That was the case for me. It was a lot of, had some successful smaller investments, but 
it was like the first couple of years were like, okay, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> don't want to do that again. Don't want to do that. Yeah. And actually you've done a thousand things you don't want to do. And you're kind of left with, with some things that, that you do want to do. Um, so tell, I always like to understand about that shift from, you know, the single family stuff, which I think is pretty straightforward for most people to get their heads around. Maybe you bought a house before to live in or, you know, owning a rental house, pretty easy to understand. Multifamily is different, even though mm-hmm. fundamentally you got rents and pay bills and there's cash flow, same thing, but maybe more commas, uh, more zeros, more complexity. How did you make that transition? Was that, uh, you know, a, a gradual thing? Was this again, an introduction from somebody or how, how did you make that shift? Yeah. So I, you know, I mentioned the kind of the education process earlier, but I was, I was reading books and listening to tons of podcasts. I was a, a sales guy, as I mentioned for sure. you know 25 years. So I had a lot of windshield time um, where I'm listening to podcasts between appointments or driving to appointments, whatever that may be. Um, and when I look back at it, the single family space, I ended up doing Burr strategy in Atlanta and there was about a while six you're in Phoenix, right? While I was in Phoenix, so long yeah. distance, sure. you know, fly out and meet contractors, fly out, meet property managers, wow. you know, constantly looking at uh, Zillow and all the other, you know, lead sources that were coming across my desk. Yep. And, um, you know, we had two or three properties that uh, probably more than that, that we made offers on and we lost. Um, the the market was just on fire. So ultimately I wasn't able to find a deal for about six months and uh, got frustrated with that process and decided that multifamily would be a good path to kind of grow the portfolio and continue my investing journey. And at first I started looking at multifamily, you know, I, I remember we walked out to, we went out there to go look at some single families and um, I mean, these were just, I mean, they were borderline tear down, um, like really, really, really um, difficult rehabs uh, where we probably would have put a hundred grand in these things to make, you know, $1,400 a month on, on anyways, the numbers just didn't work. And tough, yeah. we got Atlanta. a notification. This was Atlanta yeah. in the, in the perimeter. So, you know, it's, it's class C minus um, neighborhoods that we were looking at. Sure. So it was a pretty rough crowd. Um, actually the area where we ended up buying some of those single families got to be a little infamous because there was, well, let's just say it was, it was on the, the, the nightly news quite often. I'll just, I'll leave it there. <laughs> so, enough. but yeah, to be watching and go, Hey, oh my gosh, that's, that's the neighborhood where we own properties. Uh, you know, just not, not a lot of fun. Um, but we ended up looking at some, like a 10 unit and we looked at like a 20 unit while we were out there. And ultimately those didn't pan out and we started doing some due diligence on some other properties. And at some point I said, you know, I'm probably biting off more than I should be um, at this phase in my real estate. And maybe it makes more sense to passively invest with the initial intention of really just kind of peeking behind the curtains and seeing what this whole syndication thing is all about to see if that's something I want to do down the road. Right. Yeah. And I was, I was in a position where I was, I was doing very, very well in my W2. I had um, just won a president's club award and uh, getting all the accolades and had very nice bonus checks that were coming in regularly. So it was the perfect environment where high income W2 guy getting big checks that I could just kind of get the checks, 
pass them off to a passive investment and then watch, you know, your monthly or quarterly distributions start to come in. So um, kind of went all in at that point on the passive investing space and uh, haven't looked back since. I love it. Yeah. What a great strategy. That's your, your, you know, your baseline covered of your expenses and then you get these big chunks and just get it out of your hands, right? <laughs> just put it somewhere yeah, where it's yeah. going to keep growing. And instead of thinking about buying the boat or whatever, you just keep, keep moving it uh, into these projects. How did you, I, I know you're in a lot of deals. I mean, how many deals are you in right now as, as a, you know, as an investor, it's, it's quite a few, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm in 18 now across sure. eight different operators. Um, and I'm in Excellent. primarily I'm in multifamily, but I do have some mobile home park, uh, holdings. I've got a self-storage fund. I invested in an ATM fund, uh, just for cash flow purposes. Sure. Um, and yeah, just, um, trying to really perfect that due diligence process and the deal and operator vetting process to make sure that when we do place our dollars, we're putting them with the right stewards, essentially. Hundred percent. I wanted to ask you about that because you're essentially a, a professional passive investor at this point. Obviously, you've got a lot of experience in different types of asset classes. But how have you gone about that process to date of finding sponsors, of of vetting sponsors, building that relationship? You're in a lot of markets, a lot of different asset classes. What's uh, what's been helpful to you on that part of the process? Yeah. So I, I, there's a lot of resources out there that you can, you know, if you just do how to vet a, how to do due diligence on an operator or how to do due diligence on an asset class, there's, there's all kinds of materials out there. Um, sure. And and what I find though, is that the folks that are underwriting the deals with the syndication organizations or the GPs, they're far better underwriters than I will ever, ever even aspire to be. Right. I really just need to have some basic knowledge to see what, lo what looks weird? What are the assumptions that they're using that maybe don't fall in line with my my beliefs or my strategies? Yep. Um, but it, I think at the end of the day, it really comes down to track record. And although past performance doesn't guarantee you future performance, I think it is the best, most leading indicator of what future success is going to be. So if, if an operator is you know, on their second or third deal and they've got a couple of years under their belt, I, I'm very excited for them. I love that they've jumped all in, but I don't necessarily want them to get their education on my investment dollars. Sure. I want to have my investment dollars going to work with the guys that have been doing this for years or decades or or longer for that matter. So yeah. um, track records, number one thing I look at, and then it really comes into assumptions that they're using in their underwriting that I like to look at. So Yeah, I like it. Uh, Kenny Wolf's a friend of mine, a prolific uh, operator. Mm -hmm. He's up near Dallas, but they've got stuff in Cleveland and multifamily all over the country. But he spoke at one of our events and he said, it's on that first deal, it's friends, family, and fools are the people writing the checks. And <laughs> luck, you know, if you can get through those first couple of deals, do that you can, you know, it's funny that the newer operators want to downplay track record because it's so hard to get a good track record of multiple full cycle deals. It takes years. It takes millions of dollars. It takes not messing up along the way that once yeah. you have that track record, that's the first thing you're going to tout. A newer operator may say, you know, other, the other attributes because they just don't have the track record and everybody yeah. was new at some point, but I, I totally agree. You know, that, that track record is irreplaceable. It's proof of work. It's proof that, 
you know, we know these real estate deals are full of surprises and challenges and the operator's job is to uh, seamlessly overcome all of that, which is no small, small feat. But yeah, if somebody has been at it for a decade and they haven't lost capital or they've been through all kinds of different projects, there's a, a word for it. I can't remember it, but it's, you know, the, 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 if they've got that in the past, the, the likelihood of that continuing is uh, is obviously much higher. So track record's great. I think that's a great approach. Is this something that you, that you went to conferences to meet people? Was it referrals from friends? How did you go about that? Yeah. So the, the majority of mine was meetups, books, podcasts, um, talking with a lot of operators. I In my profession, I, I was a sales leader for a large portion of my career. So interviewing was, um, a I, I spent a very large amount of time interviewing candidates sure. and, um, you find out very quickly that there are some fantastic interviewers or interviewees that cannot show up and perform. So I, I think that same thing applies when you're vetting an operator as well. Like I can get a pretty good sense from spending 20, 30, 45 minutes with somebody on whether they're a high integrity guy and, and, um, high performer as well. So I brought those skills into what I'm doing today. And I think that's helped me quite a bit as well. Cause I do think e even with folks that might have shorter track record um, in this space, if they've got high performing track record in other roles and other capacities and in other industries, I think a lot of those skills do translate so long as they've got the expertise to lean on for the knowledge. So top performers in my experience are top performers, regardless what they do. So if you if you pull a top performer out of a high performing sales organization or a medical field or a professional environment, more than likely they're going to be able to perform well in this space as well. Because at the end of the day, this is just a business, just like any other business. So, yeah, it sure is. That's a great point. I, I do invest with new operators, provided that the relationships there that I've had a lot of time to build a relationship with them, and that they're yeah they're winners, right? They've they've been, they've been proven to be winners in some other area of life. And I totally agree with that, that, that those traits, I mean, there's no secret to it, right? It's a whole lot of hard work and just overcoming more adversity than the next guy. It's kind of the secret, but yeah. not everybody's got that in them for sure. And uh, I, I totally agree that, that a lot of the skill sets transfer. Um, so we're talking here kind of the end of 2022. Um, second half of this year has been very different than the first half with Fed being the Fed being very aggressive and and that kind of stuff. Are you still seeing um, deal flow from sponsors that you're working with? Are you, you know, I, I would presume that's gotten a little quieter second half of the year, but you're with different sponsors, different markets, different asset classes. What are you seeing out there? Yeah, so definitely am seeing um, deal flow slow down from the operators that I work with and the operators that I've invested with. Um, I'm surprised that with with a little bit of, of research and work, you can find at any time, you can find a handful of opportunities that are available, even in this market space so uh, or marketplace. Sure. So yes, the folks that I've worked with in the past, it, it's a little slimmer. Um, and the returns and the timelines look much different than what we saw even just you know four or five six months ago. Uh, but there's still deals out there. I think I think we're going to see a lot of deals. Um, like everybody is is waiting for you know the blood in the streets essentially. But um, yeah. I think we're going to see a lot of those lower, um, less experienced operators uh, are going to probably end up losing up losing deals that will be great opportunity for the well-established, fully integrated folks that are out there. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that seems to be the the consensus. Uh, I, I remember we thought the same thing when COVID hit, but yeah. the reaction to COVID was so swift and so strong that those deals never really materialized. This time around, they might. I mean, you've got uh, you got loan maturities coming up here. You've got uh, increased cap rates. You've got lower lender proceeds. Kind of this perfect storm of not really a great time to refinance or sell, mm-hmm. uh, but if you have to with a loan maturity. Um, it stands a reason that that would create some opportunities out there. So we'll see, you know, nobody's got the the crystal ball, but I think that certainly makes sense to, to put out there as a, as a strong possibility. Um, well, let's talk about your podcast. You, you, you launched the podcast. I think you mentioned you've got 30 some odd episodes out there, the gentle, the gentle art of crushing it podcast. How'd that come about? How's that going? Tell us about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I am part of a mindset coaching community called Jason Drees coaching. He's actually is or was, yeah, he was the coach for, uh, Brandon Turner from bigger pockets. And, um, I started with some group coaching with that group in January of last year, while I still was in my W2 and very quickly, um, made a, a bunch of connections there. And there was a gentleman who had launched this podcast probably a year and a half ago, but it was more of a hobby and it wasn't, wasn't super professional at the time. So his vision for this podcast was to go to, you know, three to five days a week and have multiple hosts. So I raised my hand to take on one day a week. And my focus of the general art of crushing it is passive investing. So our goal is to educate and inspire the passive investor and help them uh, gain the confidence they need to make that first passive investment. Cause we're very confident that once uh, folks start to invest passively and decrease their dependence on their W2, that um, they will see all of the benefits that both you and I have uh, grown to love in this space. So um, just really helping people take that first step in this space. Yeah. I love it. It's huge. I mean, I always say that the amount of people that are capable of investing, let's say 50 K as an LP investor and in a mm-hmm. multifamily or whatever. And it's, it's a lot of people. That's like a lot of working adults, God, millions of people. Right. And then the, the amount of that subset of the population that has actually done it is just like this tiny drop in the bucket. So you know, your job, my job, we're kind of out here evangelizing, educating, and, and just kind of letting people know that this exists, this direct LLC ownership uh, thing where you're kind of cutting out all the all the middlemen. Um, so there's, is it still that format? There's still a couple other guests a week. And so the, the podcast co- comes out multiple times a week with different, different uh, focuses on, on different days. Yep. That's it. We have, um, I, I do one day a week and then there are actually five other hosts that share the other two days per week throughout the month. And, like um, we've got somebody who is in the fix and flip space. We've got somebody in the triple net lease space. We've got uh, a couple of folks that are in the short-term rental space. So, um, all shapes and sizes of real estate investing, um, at that high level education, entry level real estate investor space. I love it. Kind of covering all the bases there and putting out a bunch yeah. of content. And yeah, that's, that's great. Um, are you having fun doing it? You know, I ha- actually, when I look at my week, the things I look forward to the most are, um, amazing interviews with great syndicators, great vendors, great people with past. There are folks that passively invest in a hundred plus deals 
And I'm just, I'm fascinated by that space of taking the, you know, everybody's got these little, these little or big buckets of cash that they have kind of planted in their backyard. And some people get very, very unique with their strategies. Um, and, and the results are just fantastic. So it's, it's super fun to interview those folks and see what they're doing. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things. I feel like it really helps me stay sharp and stay kind of connected to what people are doing and just exchanging ideas. Right. You know, it's, there might be an idea I get from talking to you or talking to another guest that leads to something else. And, and then there's this network effect of being connected to all these people all over the country that have similar interests. Uh, Pretty cool. It's pretty cool what this tech has allowed us to do. And you mentioned windshield time earlier. I I remember my W2, I was in for about two and a half years while I was building my real estate business. And I had to be thousands of hours of podcasts, you know, I mean, it was just like for years, uh, you know, a couple of years, just constantly absorbing this stuff and, uh, and it makes an impact. So anyway, that's great that you're able to, to now host it connect with different people and, and get all the, all the benefits of that. Um, well, what do you see? What's ahead for you? I, you know, we're kind of wrapping up the year here coming into December holiday, uh, season. You remember, you mentioned before the show, you've got some, some vacation time coming up here and a, and a trip, but, uh, what's, what's on the horizon for you next year? What do you, what are you looking forward to doing in 2023? Yeah. So this is, you know, I'm coming up to about six months since I launched impact equity, which really, just kind of evolved overnight into um, evangelizing this passive investing space and partnering investors with syndicators. And my most recent partnership is with a syndicator based out of New York that has has deals that come up in Houston. And I think I'm going to see a lot more of that. I want to get a little bit more involved with the business. Um, I'm very good at collecting or connecting investors with these operators. Um, but I really like to get my hands a little more dirty and get more involved in the space. So I think ultimately I'll be going down the GP side at some point um, sure. and just excited about the opportunity that, uh, that that presents. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's this whole stack of, of uh, responsibilities and there's different ways to plug in at, at all levels. You know, you want to kind of go and run the whole deal by yourself. You can do that. You want to form partnerships. You can do that. And it really just kind of depends on what people's strengths are, but that's one of my favorite things about this business is, is being able to put teams together where people can play to their, their strengths. Um, That's fantastic. Well, Randy, thanks so much for jumping on, for sharing your story for um, kind of educating us and, and telling us what you've been up to. If someone listening wants to connect with you, what's a good avenue for that? Yeah, probably probably the easiest way to reach me is through LinkedIn under Randy or Randall Smith. Um, but you can go to my website at impactequity.net. And we do have kind of a freebie where um, listeners can go out and get top 10 questions to ask syndicators before investing in the lower left-hand corner of the website if, if folks would like. Excellent. We'll link to that in the show notes. If you're listening, you can scroll through the description and click right through to Impact Equities website and check that out. Randy, thanks so much for coming on today. I wish you success in the year ahead. Thank you so much, Devin. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.